Good morning, Overlake. Let's stand. My name is Jessica. I'm the worship pastor here, and we are going to enter into worship to Jesus. Let's do it. I'll raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I'll raise a
all the distractions and all the things that come against. We just want to focus on our Jesus this morning. Would you meet with us, God? How we love you, how we praise you, how we worship you today. You are worthy of our praise, God. We're going to sing out this morning, Jesus. We're going to sing of your great love for us this morning, Jesus.
the night 
Well, what a gift it's that we can sing those words together. And as I'm singing, I see you move mountains. I, I believe that for my own life and I believe that for your life today. And I hope you take encouragement in that. Well, my name's Lee. I'm one of the pastors on the team. I want to welcome you to this place today. And when you came in, hopefully you received a handout with a smiling face. And in that handout is a, is a connection card. And I wanted to draw your attention to one thing on the front of the card today. We have seen the nations come to this place, Overlake, and we want to celebrate that in July. So there's a little place on the front of the card where we're looking for where your country of origin is and what other languages you speak. So if you feel comfortable filling that in, we'd love you to do that. I'm going to fill it in. My country of origin is, is Australia. And uh, the language I speak is the Queen's English or uh, proper English. Um, I think that's what we call it. So fill that in. The offering buckets will go by later. Drop that in there. If it's your first time with us today, welcome. We're so glad you're joining us in this place. Why don't you fill in whatever information is comfortable. And then on your way out today, swing by the Connection Center. We'd love to exchange that card for a gift. Just our way of saying thank you for checking us out today. Well, as you drove in today, hopefully you see the sun is shining. I'd love you to greet those around you and ask them, what's the favorite summer road trip you're going to take this month? Go for it, guys. Wonderful to be with you today. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. As you're grabbing a seat, why don't you pull your notes out of your handout, and you will see that we are actually wrapping up a series today. The series is called uh, Living in and with and for Jesus. And what we've been doing is we've been walking through the book that's in our Bibles called 1 John. And, and so this is actually a letter that the disciple, the, the disciple named John, wrote. And, and so we're going to jump in a little bit more. But if you were here last week, we started talking about the command. And, and so today, this is sort of the second part of what we started last week, the command that John brings up again and again and again. He's not messing around with this command because he says, if you get this command, you get the very nature and character of God. And then on the other side of the coin, he says, and if you miss this command, if, if somehow you just don't get this command, you're missing out on God again because this is his very nature. This is his essence. And, and just so that we're all clear, the command that John keeps coming back to again and again is eat more bacon. Right? Like that's, you know, no? Okay, all right. Uh, sorry, a little Jewish humor. Um, no, uh, that, that was not it. It just make it sure you're awake. No, the command is to love. He keeps coming back again and again that, that we are to love. And he talks about how it's an old command, but Jesus made this a new command because what did he do? He, he reissued it and he takes it higher and it's an ongoing command. He talks about how love is a giving of ourselves for the benefit of others, even those with whom we have differences. Uh, Jesus calls those our enemies, but it's just even those who, who we might find a little bit difficult to love. And what he says is love is practical. Love drives fear away. And all of this is what we would call a definition of love. 
We would say, okay, this is good for us to understand intellectually what love is. But we talked about a song last week, and the lyric is, I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. And so it's more than just an intellectual understanding. We actually have to be able to um, sort of own it, embody it, and show it. And that's exactly what Jesus does for us. And so that's why this is where today's message starts. 1 John 3.16 says, we know what real love is. You might want to circle the phrase real love. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So Jesus is the one who embodied or illustrated this self-emptying love for you and for me. See, friends, I, I know many of you already know this, but Jesus is referred to as the greatest teacher who ever lived. And the reason why he's referred to as the greatest teacher who ever lived is because every single thing he taught, he embodied. This is like such a, a massive form of integrity that he never once said, do as I say, not as I do. That Jesus taught how to love. He taught his disciples, those who followed him, this is what love looks like. And then he modeled it for us. He illustrated it. He embodied it for us. And so we see in 1 John 4, 19, we love each other because he first loved us. He loved us first. In other words, friends, you might want to write this down. He started it. Right? He started it. I don't know if, if you remember growing up and you ever got busted by your parents for fighting with a brother or sister, but so often in my life growing up, that was what we would say. The, the mom or dad would walk in and they'd say, all right, boys, knock it off. And we'd both say, he started it, right? I'm just the innocent here. He's the one who started it. She's the one who started it. And in this case, Jesus started it, but it's a good thing. And what it is that he started is he's the one who started loving us. See, I know many of you are, have been following Jesus for a long, long time. Some of, you, some of you for decade upon decade, you've been following Jesus. I just want to make it very, very clear. Long before you ever thought to call out on the name of Jesus, he has been calling your name. That you just need to understand that, that Jesus is the one who loved us first. He is the initiator who showed us what love is. And if you're filling in the blanks, you might want to write that down. That Jesus loved us first. And, and to illustrate this, if you look at the first chapter of the Gospel of John, same author, but this is the story of Jesus' life. In, in chapter 1, what you read is that all things were created through Jesus. That every single thing that is, that is created was created through Jesus, and he created all things in love, and that means you were created in love. You were created in love, and then what Jesus did is he emptied himself, and he came to earth. He was born in poverty. He lived in holiness, and he went to a cross. He was innocent, but he suffered a criminal's death and was crucified in love for you and for me. And then he rose again from the grave in love and he has been pursuing us throughout the ages in love and he wants to meet us in love and have that relationship of love with us that starts now and lasts forever. So he is the initiator of love. And the last point I want to make here is, and Jesus serves us in love. We don't think about this very often, but Jesus serves us in love. 
And so what I want to do is I want to unpack a passage of Scripture that shows this. Again, this is from the same author, John, but this is from his gospel, not his letter. Uh, this is what he says. John, the disciple of love, in verse, or chapter 13, says this. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. Okay, so let me unpack this passage in detail. And what I want you to notice is how loving Jesus is in this. That he loved them in a practical way. He served them. He cared for their needs in that moment right there. And the scripture says he loved them to the very end. Or some of your translations might say he showed them the full extent of his love. He loved them all the way to the end. And I think it's important for us to note that we live in a culture today, in a society today, we are a humanity today, where we're really good with the idea of love, but we only like to love part of the way. We only like to love for a, a portion of the journey. See, Jesus loved to the very end, but we only like to love, we only sign up for love as long as it's kind of good for us. We only like to sign up for love as long as it's convenient for us or as, or as long as the person that we're loving, the friend that we're loving, the spouse that we're loving, as long as they're for us and they don't cause us to sacrifice too much and certainly as long as they're not against us, then we'll love them. But, but I want you to understand that as soon as they're against us or as soon as they veer too far from us or as soon as they cause us to sacrifice just too much, then we're quick to do that conscious uncoupling, are we not? We're quick to do that. Okay, that's the end of the fellowship. Let's, let's break this off. Let's, let's call this, uh, you know, let's take a break. Let's call this off, that kind of a thing. And, and the reason why I highlight it is because I want you to understand that's the opposite way that Jesus loves you. Because Jesus loves you to the very end. Jesus' love for you is full extent. It's, it's fully all the way down the journey. That's how Jesus loves you you. And so I want you to see that not only does Jesus love us first, but Jesus loves us to the very end. That's the next fill-in. Jesus loves us to the very end. And for Jesus in the story in John 13 that we just read, what's the very end? Well, for him, the very end was on that bloody cross. The very end was, was being punished for crimes he never committed, being whipped and being abused and being mocked and having his beard ripped out and that crown of thorns shoved on his head. The very end was being nailed to a rough Roman cross. It, it, this terrorist death that he did not deserve and, and yet he went to the very end for you and for me, for our sin. That was the punishment for sin. The penalty was paid in full. That's the very end that Jesus loved us all the way. You know, it reminds me, many of you know the story of my dear friend, Pastor Jake Goethe, and his young daughter, Maggie, when she was a toddler, was diagnosed with a, a brain tumor, and it became a fatal tumor. And one of the things that Maggie always used to say 
And, you know, little kids, I love parents and kids, how they express love for one another. You know, people say things like, oh, I love you to the moon and back, or, or you know, I love you this much, or whatever. And, and what Maggie always used to say to her parents is, I love you all the way. I love you all the way. And that's how Jesus loves us. He loves us all the way. And then it says that Jesus had been given authority over everything, and that he knew he had come from God and was returning to the Father. And I, I want you to see that when Jesus came to earth, when he left the Father's side and was born as a humble child in a stable in Bethlehem, he emptied himself of his glory. He emptied himself of his power. Philippians 2 says he emptied himself of that equality with God the Father. He, he left it all in eternity and he came humble as a babe. And he did not have that authority that was his. He, he gave that up and left it and he came humbly and in powerlessness. And when you read through the Gospels, what you see is this oneness he has with the Father. And we get glimpses of that when he heals. We get glimpses of that when he multiplies fish and loaves, when he calms the wind and the waves and the sea. But now you see that's changed because now the scripture says all authority has been invested in him. Everything that he was willing to lay aside, the father has now given back to him. He has authority over everything. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment. I'm going to take you on a little bit of a mental exercise, okay? I want you to imagine that you have authority over everything, okay? Just for a second. By the way, have you ever heard that phrase, absolute power corrupts absolutely? Raise your hand if you've heard that phrase before. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah, many of us have. I, I actually, as a teacher, I've actually taught that before. I've actually told other people that that's true. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Have you ever said that? Raise your hand if you've ever told anyone else that's true. Anyone? Yeah. It's just so funny that, that we, we teach this, we understand it, we, we express it, and it's patently false. Do you know that? It's absolutely not true. Absolute power does not corrupt absolutely. If you want the true statement, write it down. Absolute power reveals absolutely. Because Jesus received absolute power and it corrupted him, not at all. All it did was reveal the love in his heart. All it did was reveal the goodness of his character. It didn't corrupt him at all. It simply gave a platform for it to shine. But you see, I want you to think for a moment about if you received all authority in heaven and earth. I want you to think about what it is that would happen if, if just by the snap of your fingers you could make anything happen. You could, you could make anything come to pass. If you had absolute power and authority and just with a thought you could make things happen. Let me ask you. Who would you smite? <laughs> right? Think about it. Like if you had, you had absolute power, you had absolute authority, uh, where would you vacation? Where would you build your dream house? On what white sand beach would that be built? How much money would you will into your bank account? If you had authority over everything, you could just make it happen. How would you protect your family and your loved ones? You see, it's amazing when we start playing this mental game and we think if we had all the money and all the power and all the authority in the world, 
we might be a whole lot more selfish than we care to think about. It's a little bit humbling to think that maybe we're as good as we are because we don't have all that much power. But Jesus, he had everything. All power and all authority on heaven and earth had been invested into him by his heavenly father. And what does he do? He wraps a towel around his waist and he gets down on his knees with a basin of water and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples, including Judas, who he knew had already agreed to betray him. See, I want you to see this beautiful picture of the love that Jesus reveals to us. And, and I want you to even, if, if we can do this, there's one more imagination exercise I want you to take. And that's just, don't imagine that you have all power and all authority. I want you to imagine just for a moment that you're sitting at the table with the disciples. I want you to imagine just for a moment that Jesus comes to you next. And that he begins to wash your feet. See, Jesus is the servant of the servants of the Father. And so I want you to experience Jesus and, and, and maybe think about how often Jesus has met you in love. I want you to think about how often Jesus has listened to you in love. How often has Jesus had compassion for what you were struggling with? How often has Jesus washed you and cleansed you of your sin? See, I, I want you to understand that Jesus serves you. There is no one in the universe who serves like Jesus himself serves. And after he washed the disciples' feet, do you understand that he says to his disciples, this is compelled by love. And the way that I've loved you and the way that I've served you, now I want you to love one another and serve one another like this. This is the model. This is what it looks like. And so he started it. He loved us first, which means that we are then to love one another. That's the next fill-in, is that we love each other because he loved us first. We love each other because he loved us first. Now let's read that whole verse from John, 1 John 3.16. It says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Here's the last half. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. So let me remind you, friends, that love is practical. So it's a practical giving up of our lives for our brothers and sisters to serve them in tangible ways for their benefit. So this giving up our lives, it actually doesn't mean dying for, but it, it actually means living to serve. It's this, it's this interesting notion. It's actually easy, easier for us to think about dying nobly, like, like dying heroically once to serve someone. But it's not as romantic to think about humbly living our love out for someone. I found a quote that speaks to this. It says, the mark of an immature man is that he wants to die nobly for a cause, while the mark of the mature man is that he wants to live humbly for one. And so you see, living humbly in a loving posture, it's not as romantic of a notion, but that's how Jesus modeled his love for you and for me. It's that practical way we offer our lives to one another in love. 
And then it goes on. It says in 1 John 4, 20, 21, if someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person's a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Okay, so let's unpack that. The, the scripture here says, if you say you love God, but hate your brother and sister, you're, you're a liar. That, that is such a crazy word to me to use. It even feels uncomfortable to say it out loud. It reminds me of The Princess Bride, if you've ever seen that movie. Liar! You know, like, like it, just, it, it just resonates weird to hear this idea of you're a liar. If you say you love God, but you hate your brother or sister, it's fake news. Right? If you say you love God, but you hate your brother and sister, you're selling snake oil to yourself. Right? You're fooling yourself. It's just a ruse, John says. And it's not that it's easier to love people than it is to love God. That's not the argument of this passage. Because let's be honest, people, actual humans, can be quite irritating. Okay? No, it, what he's arguing is... If you're not loving people who you actually can see, then you're, you're not loving God who you can't see. You might think you are, you might say you are, but in order to lo love the God who you can't see, you have to love the people you can see because those are the people he made in his image. And those are the people that Jesus died on the cross to love and to save. And those are the people that he commands us to love. So that's how we show him that we love him is by loving our brothers and sisters. And by the way, he modeled love. So he loved first. And so John doesn't want us to be liars, right? So we can't do that. We can't say we love God but hate in our hearts. And then he goes on. He doesn't want us to be murderers either. So he keeps kind of upping the stakes along the way. He says this. 1 John 3, if we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves we have passed from life to death. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. Oh my, right? Like that's big time. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. So, so we've got to get the hate out of our hearts, right? We don't want to be a liar. We don't want to be a murderer. We must work diligently to replace the hate in our hearts with love. Friends, this is of paramount importance. That's why I keep telling you this is the command, right? This is the command. All of the commands fall underneath this overarching command to love. And this is the command that Jesus gives, and it's what he models for us. And so the question then comes to my mind, how do we release hate from our hearts? How is it that we get rid of the hate in our hearts? How can we let go of it and be free from it? And so there are a few thoughts that I want to offer you today. And again, if these are helpful, write them down. But the first question that I would ask is, well, what's the source of our hate? Where does it come from? How is it that it landed and lodged within our hearts? And for some of you, this might be like a general cultural upbringing. For some of you, this might be simply a, a way in which you were raised. For example, you have been taught to hate a certain ethnicity or uh, people from a specific country. Maybe war has taught you this or, or the political uh, structure that you grew up underneath or, or maybe the racism of parents or grandparents or great-grandparents taught you or, or maybe you listened to gossip or a few bad stories about a certain country or culture and that informed your hate. 
See, there's sort of this general or vague way that hate can land in our hearts. And so it's good for us to examine ourselves and to see if that's what's going on and to name it. Because once you name it, then you can confess it and begin to seek healing from it. But I would also offer that for some of you, it's not general at all. It's not vague. It's not hazy at all. Maybe for you, it's very specific. There's a specific person because that person betrayed you or that person abused you, or that person maligned you. And so it's not cultural, it's not conceptual, it's precise, it's specific. And so for you, you can recognize where it's from. You you might have a face in your mind right now. You might have instantly seen a name just pop in front of your thought, and, and so you call that out. That's the first step in dealing with it. And then let me be very, very clear. What we're talking about right now is releasing the hate within us. We're talking about letting that go. So I want to be very clear. If you have been abused by a person, I am not advocating that you would place yourself underneath that abuse again. That's not what I'm saying. If someone has abused you, what I'm not arguing is that you put yourself in a position where you can continue to be abused. What I'm saying is that releasing your hate and, and working on loving them is not the same thing as allowing a person to continue to hurt you. You can forgive instantly, but trust must be rebuilt over time. So all we're working on right now is just the releasing hate side of the equation. That's the first thing. Second thing is when it comes to receiving some healing for deep and traumatic wounds... I would recommend therapy. I'd recommend biblical counseling. I'd recommend Celebrate Recovery or our Sozo Prayer Ministry. You see, you want to walk with a safe guide as you travel this road. And, and so if that's you and someone has come against you and wounded you deeply and you'd like to experience healing about that, why don't you just on the back of your card write the words Care Ministry. Just write care ministry somewhere in your card, and then we'll follow up with you and get you the information you need, some of the options that you can choose to walk down. But, but you're going to need to walk with someone, a guide, someone to, to kind of be safe as, as you travel into this place of forgiveness. The third challenge is that then, once you've named it, once you understand where it's from, then you position your heart to forgive. And what this means is simply with God's help, you release the person from the prison cell that you've been holding them within. You see, there's an energy that comes from hating. We don't like to admit this, but there really is. There's an energy that comes from hating. There's an energy that comes from the whisper that you are absolutely justified in holding on to your hate. And that's where our repentance comes in. That's what we can lay down because hate has been serving us for a while. It's bringing us this energy and and so we've got to be willing to lay that before the Lord, to lay it down. And then we open up the door and we let them out. And when we do, we discover that we were the ones trapped inside that cell. You see, here's the truth, that forgiveness is an act of love that sets you free. Forgiveness is that act of love that sets you free. And the opposite, of course, is resentment. And resentment will just fester. Resentment is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies, but they don't. You're the one who suffers. You're the one who gets ill. So position your heart to forgive. And here's a little asterisk. There's a little caveat, but it's absolutely true that forgiveness can happen in your heart 
without ever talking to the other person. Forgiveness can happen in your heart even if the other person is deceased. That this freedom can be yours today. Okay, so that's positioning your heart to forgive. And then the fourth thing, and this is with God's help, this is with the Holy Spirit's guidance, but when you feel like God has prepared you and made you ready, you might want to reach out to that person. And you might want to let them know that you're walking a road of forgiveness and that you'd be interested in exploring a reconciliation conversation. But I'm just letting you know that beginning to walk this road does so much healing in terms of releasing the hate that's in our hearts. All right, let's keep going. Uh, John hits this point a couple of times. 1 John 3.11 says, This is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. There it is again, right? Again, he keeps coming back to it. Bang, bang, bang. Okay, he says, We must not be like Cain. If you remember the story, this is way back in Genesis, the story of Cain and Abel, two brothers. We must not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother, Abel. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Okay, so it's an interesting analogy he uses, Cain and Abel. If you remember, Abel was a good chop, he was a good herdsman, he was a good, you know, he had flocks, and, and so he offered his sacrifice to the Lord. Cain was an angry farmer, okay? And Abel was doing right, Cain, he wasn't doing right, he was jealous and resentful of his brother, and he hid hatred in his heart. In fact, the Bible says sin was crouching at his door, and he gave in to it. And so Cain killed his brother Abel, who was doing right in God's sight. And then what the, what the scripture argues is this, therefore, John says, don't be surprised if the world hates you for doing right. Don't be surprised as you, as you try to live right before the Lord that people come against you and they hate you. And, and I just want to tell you that it shouldn't come as a surprise that when you and I try to love and we really step into love and we're vulnerable in love, it shouldn't come as a surprise that some people do not reciprocate at all. Or maybe they come against us with anger or, or with hurt. And I, I, I bring this up because I want to tell you, I actually find this passage incredibly helpful. And the reason why I find it incredibly helpful is because I'm always surprised. I'm always surprised. I, I think that when I look at the command, sometimes I feel like it's a little formula. And the formula that I really like goes like this. If you love people, they will love you back. I love that formula. I think it's a great formula. I really wish that was the formula. John says, no, it's not like that. And the idea is if you love your enemies, they become your friends. I love that formula. I think that's a great formula. And John's saying, look, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised as you pour yourself out in love that the person you're trying to love doesn't reciprocate at all. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised as you seek to love your enemies, they use this as an opportunity to get back at you again and again. Like, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if it doesn't work out right because in a fallen world, stuff can go all kinds of haywire. But what John is saying, and this is what the scripture does teach, is the best thing for you is to love them. And, and the best possible opportunity that you have to have other people love you is love them well. And the best possible opportunity you have to turn an enemy into friend is to love them. That's not a guarantee they will turn into a friend, but it's the best possible chance you have of them maybe becoming a friend 
to you. Are you following me? And so that's the challenge. The challenge is that we're to love regardless of the outcome. And John wants to prevent us from, from locking into that simplistic formulaic thinking. And we've got a quote. It's the same thing that Mother Teresa argues. And so we've got a quote from her. And she says this. She says, people are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you're kind, people may accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you're successful, you'll win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. If you're honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, some may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today will be often forgotten. Do good anyway. Give the best you have, and it will never be enough. Give your best anyway. In the final analysis, it's between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. Isn't that beautiful? It's beautiful. You know, whenever I see this quote, I think of a dear sister, Lynn Wilkinson, who has passed away. And she was on our staff team, and, and she, had this, she had this quote up on her wall. And it absolutely defined the way she cared for people. Because a, a part of her ministry was she was on the receiving end of caring for hurting people all the time. And so she would be dealing with a, someone's brokenness. And, and instead of someone uh, who was hurt and, and maybe difficult to deal with, she, she never uh, ignored them. She never distanced herself. She never fought back. She never defended herself. She would merely love them and serve them, and listen to them, and connect them to the help that they needed. She started our shower ministry here at the church. She opened the snack room for them. She washed towels for them. Uh, she knew that she was loved first by Jesus Christ, and so she loved others, all others. And she modeled this life of what humbly living a life of love looks like, just like Jesus did. And so what I want you to know is that the command to love, the command to love is not dependent upon how love is received. The command to love is not dependent on how love is received. It's just a command that those of us who are in this thing with God, those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ, those of us that, that want to follow him, we're called to love one another. We're called to love people because we have received love. And so we want to give it in exactly the same way. And so the best practice for you and for me is to love anyway. That's the command. Since it's between you and I and Jesus, and since Jesus is the one who started it, the best practice is for us to love anyway. And God, or, or God wants us to be assured, John, when he's writing this letter, he wants us to have a deep assurance and peace when it comes to our faith in the Lord. And so right near the end of his letter, he writes this. He says, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, who believe in Jesus, right? This is for those of us who believe in Jesus, so that you may know, circle that phrase, you may know you have eternal life. 
at the end of his letter, after he's covered all of these different themes and he's hit them again and again, he's saying, look, I've, I've written all this so that you may know that you have eternal life. You believe in Jesus, so I don't want you to worry, he says. I understand how hard this stuff is, how hard it is to love, but look, it's gonna be okay. He says, I want you to be assured. This life we're living, it's gonna be over so soon. And you're gonna be with Jesus forever and ever, and so you can rest assured. You can live in peace. Eternal life is yours. And then he goes on, and he says, and we are confident. You might want to circle that word. And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him, anything that's in his will. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. All right, so there's a confidence we can have when we pray. There's a confidence we can have knowing he hears us. I, I want you to understand that our confidence is, de is determined by the source that we are trusting. Our confidence is de determined by the source that we are trusting. So I'll just give you an example. Am I confident in the mariners? <laughs> Not so much, right? It's up and down. It's up and down. Am I confident in my grilling skills in the backyard? Yeah, somewhat, Right? Not a master, but I'm not a, I'm not a plebe. Like, I'm right in the middle. Am I confident that Jesus hears us when we pray? Absolutely. 100%. All in, right? I know he hears me because the scripture says he hears me. Because the scripture says he loves me. Because Jesus himself says he is with me. You know, Pastor Pat was telling me a story about his son, Sailor. Sailor's a toddler, and Sailor doesn't know too many words just yet. And so there's a lot of babble. There's a lot of baby talk still. But, but Pastor Pat says whenever his 35-pound ball of cute comes up to him and starts babbling up to his dad, Pat says he leans in and he scoops up his boy. And he just can't wait to hear what it is that Sailor has to say. And in the same way that Pat delights over his son, I just want you to understand the Lord delights over you. And he loves to hear from you. And he loves to hear what it is that, that is your heart cry. He's right with you and he wants to be with you. He wants to scoop you up. He wants to carry you forward. He, he, and you can have confidence that he hears you, the scripture says. And that when we ask anything according to his will, he will give us what we ask for. So at the end of, of today's message, at the end, actually the continuation of last week's message, there's one thing beyond a shadow of a doubt that we know is God's will for you and for me. One thing that is the will of the Lord for you and for me, and that is that we love one another. Amen? Amen? Amen. And so why don't we ask the Lord right now for his help to do that? Because we know that when we ask according to his will, he hears us and he gives us what we ask. And so let's ask him for the help to love one another. Amen? Amen? All right, bow your heads, close your eyes, let's pray. Jesus, we want to say thank you that you are the one who loves us, that you are the one who has created us, that you are the one who has pursued us. You are the one who's emptied himself on our behalf so that we might have salvation, that we might have forgiveness and cleansing. 
that we might live a new, abundant, and eternal life. Jesus, you're the one who's provided all these things for us. And today we have assurance in that. Today, those of us who believe, we, we, we are so thankful for all of this assurance. We're thankful for the love that you poured out over us. And now we pray according to your will. We pray that you would give us the insight, you would give us the courage, and you would give us the confidence to love one another. Especially, Lord, when we think about where it is that we have the hate in our heart. We ask that you would show us what it looks like for us to lay that stuff down at the foot of your cross. For us to release ourselves and release those who have come against us or wounded us. We release them to you. We forgive them in the name of Jesus, knowing that we are forgiven by your love. We forgive those who have come against us. We forgive them and we release them in the name of Jesus today. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue your good work in healing. Continue your good work in building us up in you and filling us with the power of your Holy Spirit because we want to get this command, Lord. We want to get it right. We say yes to your love as it flows from heaven's throne into our lives. Now, Lord, show us what it looks like to love each other in your name. We pray it all in Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Wow, what a challenge. Thank you, Pastor Mike. The, the command to love isn't dependent on how love is received. We're called to love anyways because God loved us first. But this time I want to draw your attention to the connection card I mentioned earlier. And maybe there's a specific prayer request you want to write in there. We'd love to be praying alongside you. Maybe a, a spiritual decision that was made this morning. Or maybe uh, in a couple of weeks here we're going to be uh, baptizing people that you want to declare in front of friends and family what Jesus has done for you. Also, as Pastor Mike mentioned during, uh, during the message, maybe you need help with some resources uh, in a conflict. And so just write down Caring Ministries on the back of that card, and we'll make sure to get the, the resources in your hand. We want to be an, an encouragement to you and a resource to you and your walk. And you can uh, drop these in the offering bucket in just a moment. And at the same time, I want us to give us a chance to continue worshiping with the giving of our tithes and offerings. I want to thank you for your generosity and continuing the mission of Overlake moving forward. So right now, I'd like to invite the ushers to come forward as we collect the offering. And each week, we receive hundreds of, of prayer requests through our cards, through emails. And uh, today, what I want to do is share some of those on the screen behind you without their names. But our hope is that we can come alongside and pray alongside these people. And yes, it's okay to pray with your eyes open. So read these, be praying alongside these overlakers.
we can stand together. Um, but before we go into our response song, um, we wanted to take a minute um, and just honor someone that's been very special to our church family. Um, Andrew, um, this is his last Sunday with us. Um, Andrew's been an intern here for about two years. Um, and he is going back to California. Um, he's taken a worship pastor position at Saddleback, um, which is his original home church. I mean, I'm fine with it. It's fine. It's fine. Um, I wouldn't clap yet, but it's fine. Um, no, it's great. Um, honestly, Andrew has served in every area of the church. He's been a part of the youth and um, YA, and he's been a part of camps, and he's been part of Saturday morning community um, meetings, and um, I think one of our first times serving together was the lament service about two years ago, um, which is just a really special, unique service, and um, it just makes me cry because our church family is so beautiful, and our relationships that we build here together and the life that we walk together is so um, powerful, and um, I'm thankful that that goes on into eternity. Um, Andrew's been a huge part of our church and, and, and even our family. I know our, me and Jake's kids just think that Andrew is um, their friend instead of ours, so um, Layla literally introduces him as her best friend, so it's great. Um, she's nine, so... <laughs> Um, but we're just super thankful. I know the team um, loves Andrew so much, and uh, we're really sad to see him go, but we're also so excited for what God um, has done in his life, is going to do, and the call that he has um, on your life. And so we're so thankful to have been a part of that, and we will continue to be a part of that, um, and we're always going to be your one of your, home, one of your home churches and peoples. So... I thought we could pray for him. If you are comfortable, please extend out your hand. We are going to bless him and bless the church that is getting him. So let's do that. Oh, Jesus, we, um, we just want to surrender our hearts before you right now, Jesus. And we want to thank you for the time that you've given us with Andrew, Lord. Um, the sweetness, um, of a friend that he is and how he cares so deeply and he thinks about the details of relationships and serving um, in just any way possible, God. It's just so beautiful um, how he connects with people and he's so caring. Um, and Jesus, I just know that as he goes into this next season um, that you just have mighty, amazing things for him, Lord. Um, we just pray, God, for your anointing over him right now that Jesus, um, your spirit would just fill him up. We just thank you so much for the call that you have on his life and for the future that you have um, for him, Jesus. We pray for the community that will receive him um, that is is anxious and, and um, in need um, of you, Jesus. And as they walk that journey together in seeking your face and in worshiping you and seeing what you have for their community and in that place. So, Jesus, we just want to um, send him off well, Jesus, knowing that we are for him and we are with him and we are proud of him. And um, he is made in your image. He is made mighty and wonderful. 
And so, God, I just thank you. Would you bless him? We just are so thankful. In Jesus' name. So now we're going to make him uh, sing a song, which is really fun when you've been crying. So let's all worship Jesus this morning and just worship him from your heart. And yeah. <laughs> How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain. I could not find In desperation I turned to heaven And spoke your name into love And through the darkness Your loving kindness Tore through the shadows of
Wow. What a way to send you out into your Sunday. I want to send you out of here with a blessing. Before I do that, I just want to mention two quick things. First is if there's something stirring in your heart today and you want someone to pray along with you, we have our prayer alcove just on your way out on the left-hand side. We have people who'd love to come alongside you, pray for you. Maybe there's a praise report you want to share with someone. We'd love to do that there. The second thing is we have a great tool for you this summer. I wish it was a allergy pill that lasted all season. It's not, but it is this little summer overlake brochure that has everything going on for connection, for serving, things happening in our church family. So pick one of those up at the Connection Center or at the info desk on your way out. Well, why don't you do this? Why don't you close your eyes and receive these words? We pray that our lives will be filled and overflowing with the power of your love, Jesus, so that we can make a difference in this world and bring honor to you. We ask for your help in reminding us that the most important things are not what we do outwardly. It's not based on any talent or gift, but the most significant thing we can do in this life is simply to love you and choose to love others. And it's your name we believe this, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Have a great Sunday, guys.